0: I'm Sherry Dunlevy, your inspirationista, host, and a grieving mom. Welcome to the Grief Anonymous podcast. Grief is a journey, and I'm 20 years into mine. No matter where you are in yours, I hope you'll join me as I provide you with information, tools, and experts to help guide you through the darkness of death into the light of living. Help is on the way. Today, my guest is Jenny Lisk. She is the host and creator of the Widowed Parent podcast. It's been featured in the Washington Post and on Parent Map, and she's from Washington State, and she is now currently writing her first book, which is very exciting. But I want to talk to her about widowed parenting, because this is an area that I, you know, I I know a lot of people who are widowed. I know a lot of people who are widowed parents, but my grief experience is completely different from that of a widowed parent. So, Jenny, thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah,
1: of course. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you for, uh, for inviting me.
0: So, first of all, I guess we should start with, with your story and how you came to be the the host of the widowed parent um, podcast.
1: Ah yes, that's a great question. How much? Uh, how much time do we have here? <laughs> uh, so I actually, you know, the crazy thing—it was five years ago, right now—that my world kind of started crashing down on me. Um, what is it? It's it's August now. I was going to say July. Time flies in a pandemic, right? Uh, it was actually May of 2015, um, and my husband, who had been perfectly normal like nothing seemed wrong all of a sudden said you know I've been feeling a little dizzy sometimes and just out of the blue but it was so minor right it was like okay dizzy right you should get it checked out you know didn't really seem like a big a big deal and I should say our kids at the time were 8 and 10 um so we just had a you know a normal life both of us had jobs you know the two kids the dog you know soccer whatever and uh long story short i started noticing over the next 10 days or so just some really odd cognitive you know slight confusion um but he was mostly normal so i was kind of second guessing myself right am i am i overreading this what's the deal anyway he went into the doctor, just a general, we both went in together, um, his regular internal medicine to say, hey, you know, what's the deal here? And the doctor said, let's get an MRI of your head. And, um, you know, they sent us downstairs. And you know how we need get MRIs? I've had them for my knee, right? Surgery, okay. whatever. They say, okay, come, well, you know, you'll be here. It'll take an hour. Then go home. We'll call you in 24 hours, whatever. So they told us that. Well, at the end of the hour, they said, actually, don't go home just yet. Why don't you go upstairs? The doctor wants to see you now. Oh. So yeah, so I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what this is, but this isn't how they usually do these things. So there's something bad. So we go up back up to his office and he says, um, there's something really wrong with your brain. I don't want to scare you. It might be glioblastoma. Meanwhile, I'm like, what's glioblastoma? I never heard of that. Turns out it's a super aggressive form of brain cancer. Uh, you need to go see the neurosurgeon tomorrow, mm. and so that was the start of the whole journey. And we saw the neurosurgeon the next day, and he said, "We're doing brain surgery tomorrow, the following day." Wow. Yeah. So we went. You know, from everything was fine to now your head's being cut open, and this is a huge uh, crisis. You know, in just a matter of a couple of weeks.
0: So sorry. And so did he have a long battle with this? Did he make it through the surgery?
1: He did. Uh, It turned out it was, I guess you would call it inoperable. I mean, they had the surgery. The objective was to remove as much as they could and to get a sample for a biopsy. And it turned out they could just get a sample for a biopsy. And it was not, you know, like you'd imagine a tumor. You'd hope you have something that you could cut around and remove. But it wasn't that type of tumor. It was more like these cancer cells all throughout his brain. Um, so they did a biopsy and they said it is cancer. You know, at first it might have just been a tumor, right? Right. right. A brain tumor is bad. Right. But there are different types of brain tumors and some of them can be dealt with. Um, but as it turned out, it was this very, very aggressive. And apparently, this type of cancer, this type of tumor can spring up from like almost no presence in your brain, like a couple of cells or whatever, to a big tumor that's impacting everything in a matter of weeks. Wow. So that's how fast, yeah, that it grows. So they told, while well, I was going to say us, he didn't want to know. They told me that because I wanted to know that the average life expectancy was 13 months. Um, and he actually lived about eight months from the time of the diagnosis um, until he passed away. I'm
0: so very sorry. I'm so very Thank sorry. Thank you. So yeah. you're, you're just you and your children are just immediately thrown into, uh, you know, deep waters. Yeah. You know, trying to navigate this alone. So that's, yeah. So tell us about that part of the journey.
1: Well, I was, I was going to add, um, we were, I was kind of immediately thrown into the role of a single parent, um, from the, from that first surgery. Uh, and it was because he had such a difficult eight months, um, all of the ways that the cancer was affecting him cognitively, plus all the number of times he was in the hospital and in the emergency room and multiple surgeries and this and that and the other thing. Um, You know, I was immediately trying to parent two kids by myself and um, care for him. You know, I was his his caregiver for eight months. Unfortunately, my work was very accommodating and let me kind of quietly, you know, take time off. Um, and I had a tremendous amount of help from family and friends in the broader community here, um, the kids' school community and neighbors and so forth and so on. Um, but you know, I, from the beginning of when he got sick, then continuing through after he died, I think that one of the hardest things for me was how do I how do I parent my kids? How does this, you know, now this is going to be a huge impact in their young lives. And when he died, they were nine and 11. Um, How does this not destroy them? Right. It's obviously going to affect them. It's obviously going to be a major part of their story and their journey. How do they, in spite of that, grow up to be whole healthy human beings, you know, who are not completely destroyed by this and Part of the problem was I, you know, I I didn't have any experience with this kind of, you know, parenting when you have a major, unusual, challenging, devastating, traumatic thing going on, right? Up until then, all my parenting had been normal kids stuff, you know, that you go through toddlers and kids up to the age of 11, right? Uh, And part of it was I didn't know who could help me, who could even tell me how to do this or who I could ask or who you know, and you can ask your, the people around you and, but most of them haven't experienced this sort of thing. Um, And so that doesn't mean they're not helpful that, you know, they are. Sometimes you need somebody who actually knows about childhood grief to, you know, help you figure out kind of Mm -hmm. what to do. Um, And so that, because I felt so lost um, and, and by the way, I, you know, I did happen to get some very good advice early on um, from a, f- a friend whose husband actually had died of the same brain cancer, oh. told me that um, she had learned from the people around her, I think her, uh, the professionals around her had urged her to be honest with her kids. And uh, so I kind of adopted that mantra early on mm-hmm. that I wasn't going to try to hide from them what was going on. And in fact, it would have been impossible to hide because it's not like you know they could have been fooled into thinking dad was normal or, you know, and he he ended not up being
0: shining, yes.
1: and well, and he was on hospice at home for the last few months and so this was all very much their part of this, you know, world. Um and I remember early on <clears throat> um after that first surgery and you know then the results of the biopsy came back because at that point it was still a question is it cancer is it some other tumor not cancer and so we went in and they said that it was cancer and now i had to tell the kids and i remember my friend called me up and she said you know like that night right we had just had met with the doctor and and she said well when are you going to tell your kids and i said well i don't know and and i think she could tell that i was kind of just hoping to stick my head in the sand and you know avoid the difficult conversation altogether and you know fortunately she really kind of challenged me on it and she said you know um, well I should back up and say that I had been blogging on you know that caring bridge site that people share on when there's a medical crisis or something and so um, the principal of the kids school had asked if he could share the site with the broader school community and I said yes and So I had already posted on there, you know, that we'd gotten this diagnosis. So my friend says, well, our kids asked us tonight at dinner, um, you know, we told them it was cancer and they asked if he was going to die and we didn't want to lie to them. And we said, you know, yes, we don't know when, but you know, he will. And my friend said, you know, this conversation is probably happening at dinner tables all, you know, all across our school community tonight. And you don't want your kids to go to school tomorrow and hear from some other kid on the playground, you know, Oh, I heard your dad's going to die. I heard your dad has cancer, whatever they might say. Right. She said, they need to hear it from you and they need to hear it tonight. And I was like, Oh, okay. She's right. Of course. Right. You know, but I was so glad that she called me up and kind of pushed me a little bit on that. Cause it was, I mean, that's not a conversation you want to have. Yeah
0: no but it is the conversation that must take place to spare them even more pain later yeah
1: well and that's the thing right because because
0: it was an awful situation
1: and i you know hiding it wouldn't have made it better but hiding it might have made it worse if then they thought they couldn't talk to me or they couldn't ask me questions or they couldn't trust what i was saying or or they were just scared and by themselves not thinking they could talk to me because of something they heard from another kid or so yeah it's like but you know it being new at this whole grief and challenge and sickness thing back then I was like I don't I don't want to have this conversation like no like can't I just wait or not or maybe if I wave a magic wand it'll all go away or something but of course that's not that's not the case
0: Reef has a funny way of, of forcing us into uh, facing things in life that we, we, and challenging us in so many different ways. And so I'm mm-hmm. sure that um, all of those challenges, sometimes we teach what we most need to, to know. And, and through your podcast, you're not only learning, but you're teaching and you're helping other people who might just now be in the beginning stages of where you are. And maybe to draw on the expertise of people who've been there that can help guide them through
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're exactly right. Right. So this, so after, you know, my husband died and then I'm like, okay, how do I do this widowed parenting thing? And I couldn't find a book, you know, I went to Amazon and I typed it in and I'm like, okay, there's no guidebook. And you know, like a, what to expect when the other parent dies kind of book, you know? Uh, And so I was like, you know, somehow along the line, and I wish I could remember how the idea of a podcast popped into my head, but I thought, you know, I could go out and interview different people who have some expertise or knowledge or perspective or reflections or something on some piece of this puzzle. So it's not like there are there are tons of people doing really good work in different aspects of this. There are grief programs in, in every community or many communities that run children's camps and children's year-round programs. And there are books on different pieces of this, and there are lots of people who are experienced who have reflections, but I thought, you know, what if I could pull this together into one resource for people, and a podcast seemed like a really accessible way to do that, right, so, so I can go talk to these people, whoever it is, um, maybe it's an expert, maybe it's a widowed parent who's Five or 10 years down the path, who's sharing something. Maybe it's a a person who's now an adult and they themselves lost a parent when they were young and sharing their reflections on how that journey was for them. um, That I could pull these together and then my listeners, they don't have to go try to talk to all these people, right? They can just tune in every Wednesday on their phone and say, oh, there's a new episode. Right. And and um, I could kind of stand in the place of my listeners in that discussion, posing questions to my guest on behalf of my listeners, learning myself, as you said, and extracting information or learnings or perspectives that I think my listeners might also appreciate. So that's that's been it's been. It's been really interesting. Um, it's actually been fun, believe it or not. And that might sound like a strange word to apply to a a grief podcast, but I just, I, I find it so fascinating to connect with all these interesting people and learn from them and then, and then share that. And that has been fun.
0: It, it's, it's interesting to, to learn from these people to connect with them and to, to form this community of shared experience um, mm you know, that that we've been there and that we're not the only ones. You know, when I lost my son, I I just kept saying, I I felt like I all of a sudden got inducted as a member into a club that I never, ever wanted to join. But thank God for the other members that helped me get through it, right? Yeah, right. And I would imagine that maybe you have something that that feels similar to that. And I can understand where you can say, you know, it it has been fun um, just because... You're seeing that people are surviving, that people mm. are 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 living, you know, good lives, even though they've had a very sad, traumatic chapter in it, and that must give you hope for your children, um, and their lives as they as they journey through this grief.
1: Yeah, yeah, it does, and I, you know, I guess I, I f- find it awfully satisfying to think about, you know, what are the pieces of this puzzle that would help my listeners, right? So Mm -hmm. I haven't covered this topic yet, or I read this interesting book on this other topic. That author would be perfect to talk to for my audience. And so that's maybe the fun part too, is thinking about like how to build this into something that it really is a useful um, resource. And I hear from listeners all the time that they do feel so alone. Um, Maybe they're the only person in their neighborhood or their school community Um, in their personal circles, who is in their position, who has a, you know, a child or a teenager and has had their spouse die, the other parent die, um, they do feel totally alone. And then I think when they tap into the podcast, or maybe they tap into some of the different online, you know, grief groups and things, then they realize that they're not the only ones. Mm -hmm. Um, And hearing other people's journeys and connecting with them and hearing how they do things, even if their situation is a little different, I think you can still learn from um, people's journeys. And so, yeah, that's been really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Rewarding, I guess, to hear from people that it helps them to not feel quite so alone. And like you said, joining this terrible club um, Mm -hmm. and having, you know, the, those
0: uh, resources, I guess, help you get through. So how do you, um, How do you find your guests for this?
1: Mm, Well, you know what? I don't have one way. It totally depends. I'm always keeping my eyes and ears open. Um, I don't know if you can see my bookshelf in the background, maybe a little piece of it. I've got about a gazillion books. um, And, you know, when I see one that looks interesting, if if I read a book that is relevant to the topic of grief or the topic of parenting or the intersection of those two, um then i almost always approach the author and ask if i can interview them um sometimes i find my guests through well one so one type of maybe subcategory if you want to call it that um people who run grief centers in different communities Mm -hmm. and i like to highlight what they're doing because then if a listener is well for example this week's episode um one of the guests is a, a grief center in los angeles um i heard from a a listener in Atlanta actually had interviewed Kate's club there um, and this listener wrote to me in Seattle and said, "I live just down the street from Kate's club. I didn't know that it existed until I heard your podcast and then I looked them up, and she turns out she had driven by you know their their center every day on her way to what school or work or something uh and so but I, when I interview those grief centers, I want you know I want to highlight what they're doing for listeners who are near them. But I always add in another topic for listeners who are not near them, like you know the grief in the holidays with a with a center in California, right? So then we talked about their programs, and then we talked about the holidays. as a tricky topic, you know. So the listeners, regardless of location, could um, could get something out of that discussion, um, you know. And then as far as the other people, if they're people who lost a parent. Um, or if they're widowed parents themselves, I just seem to stumble across them. Uh, You know, I just keep my eyes open and I keep a list and then I approach people and ask. Sometimes people approach me, you know, that's happening more and more as the show is growing and um, people will say, oh, I have a new book coming out. It's a memoir on this topic. And then I'll think about whether that's a good fit, um, you know, and then talk with them if so.
0: So what are some of the commonalities that you notice that widowed parents go through? Mm. you have you noticed any any commonalities? I know the grief is individualized, but
1: yeah. Well, I think that the 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 piece that I just mentioned about feeling alone is a is a huge one. Mm-hmm. Um the and and by the way, I I didn't realize that at first because as it turns out just I don't know, happenstance, I have a whole bunch of widowed parents in my like neighborhood and school community. Like, so the woman across the street from me, the woman two doors down from me, the woman around the corner from me, around the other corner from me, another couple 15 minute radius. So I didn't realize that there are people who who are widowed who don't, you know, have other people like kind of in real life, you know, close to them. Mm-hmm. So so that theme. Also the, the feeling lost, I think is a huge, you know, feeling like um, most widowed parents are not, grief experts they're not child development experts they're not you know they're they're parents and they have kids and they have uh, the rest of their busy life and previously they had a parenting partner and now they're carrying the whole load by themselves right and so that that sense of like where can i turn for some answers or some support or who can help me um i think is a is a big um is a is a is a common thing i see also feeling like um somehow like they have to fix it and this is something i didn't understand either right like your your kid is is hurting and they're sad and they're grieving because they've lost their dad or their mom um and somehow feeling like you i don't know have to try to fix that feeling for them or talk them out of it or say, oh, well, it's going to be okay because this or that. Um, And it really helped me to understand that the most important thing is to, you know, let them feel those feelings and and help them feel heard, right? And that if you try to say, oh, no, don't cry because, you know, whatever, something, instead of helping them feel better or taking away that feeling, it actually just helps them feel invalidated and, and more alone. Um, so a lot of those kind of things, I think, um, are some pretty common concerns and, and, and challenges.
0: Do you talk also about dealing with your personal grief while still trying to stay strong for your children?
1: Um, you know, some, um, it's an important topic for sure. And I think people do wonder, like, should I let my kids see me cry or should I not let them see me cry? Or do I, you know, how do I handle that part? And I think it's been, you know, because people just don't know, right? Like what's, what's helpful or not helpful. And I think that I've learned that, um, you know, it's okay for your kids to see you cry that they, you know, they, they need to know that you can still take care of them, right? If they see you, you know, if they think that you are, um, so what's the word I'm looking for? If they think that you're not able to, care, to take care of them, that it's going to probably scare, the, scare them more.
0: Right. But on the
1: other hand, like if they think, oh, you know, mom or dad doesn't seem bothered by this, you know, maybe mom or dad is crying in the shower every day, but the kids don't know it and they think, oh, you know, dad's not sad or mom's not sad, so I have to hide my feelings too, then that's not helpful either, right? So it's kind of a fine line of, of you know, sharing with them, yeah, you know, sometimes I feel sad and when I do, I do this or that. And that's okay because some days I feel sad and some days I feel less sad or, or whatever, right? And, and helping them see you learning to manage your grief and your emotions and helping them see that it's okay to be, sad and happy it's okay to be sad and still you know go to work or do whatever you know it is you need to do in your life um so yeah it's uh it's an interesting but it is helpful I think to to think about that and keep that in mind when you're you know interacting with your kids
0: sharing without scaring I guess
1: that's yes so you just took my my several minute rambling and put it into three words <laughs> that perfectly encapsulates it <laughs> sharing without scaring. I'll have to
0: remember that one. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So let me, let me ask you this because I go into schools and, and just do basic education of how to recognize grief. in Hmm. students because a lot of times I think that educators don't realize what's going on now with something like your husband, you know, maybe, and you had the blog and, and that, that is something, but a lot of families don't do that. And um, a lot of teachers and a lot of people don't know that there are kids that are grieving in the schools. And so I just Mm -hmm. try to make them aware of what kind of, behaviors what kind how grief might show up if they think that it's just going to be crying <laughs> then that's not going to happen because kids want to put on a brave face and they don't right. draw attention to themselves so it might appear in other ways did you see that in your children did you see them displaying um, signs of grief in ways that that weren't common to what the people typically think it's supposed to look like
1: mm. Yeah, I think it is important to understand that it's it doesn't just come out as crying. It can come out as anger. It can come out as withdrawal or being quiet. It can come out as, um, you know, difficulty with peers, um, you know, in terms of a lot of kids feel like their, their, their peers, their friends, their classmates, um, maybe they just don't they don't get it. They're the only kid, you know, they're the kid with the dead dad um, or, you know, and then their the peers might act weird around them, right? Like they, maybe they don't want to mention their own dads because um, they don't want to upset their friend, you know, and which is very understandable, but then someone does mention their dad and then everyone clams up. Right. And then leaving the kid feeling in the spotlight or maybe um, um what am I trying to say here? Oh, you know, sometimes kids will will say, you know, like other kids will be complaining. Oh, my mom is so mean; she made me, you know, clean my room or something, and you know, the, leaving the other kid feeling like I wish my mom was here to yell at me about cleaning my room. You know, uh, mm-hmm. so that can be tricky to navigate. Um, and I, you know, you make such a good point about teachers not necessarily having the the training in you know, childhood grief. Um, And it's something I didn't realize, I guess, until I started talking to people. And there's a whole organization in California, it's a National Center for School Crisis and Bereavement. And um, they are working, they have something called the Grief Sensitive Schools Initiative to try to help train teachers, give them some overviews, you know, like a, like a workshop, right? This is what grief can look like. This is helpful, not helpful. You know, here's how to be more grief sensitive in the classroom. And it can even you know, they can be things like you have the father's day project or the mother's day project. And then how do you handle the kid whose mom is dead? And do they, you know, do you encourage them to make something for grandma? And then does that backfire or not? Or do, like, it just can be a whole minefield. So yeah, it's, um. I do think that it can be helpful to, well, it can be helpful to talk, I think, openly with the kids' teachers and kind of, you know, let them know what's going on. And you mentioned that I had been writing on the blog and, you know, with the whole school community reading that, including the teachers, which was wonderful. I think the openness helped them to better understand what was going on in our family. So that then, you know, when they were in the classroom, they could keep, keep an eye out for what was going on.
0: I think one of the most healthy things, Jenny, and, and it's something that you're doing is that we don't, talk about death we don't talk about loss we don't talk about grief we don't talk about these things and yet so many people experience them and it becomes Mm -hmm. so awkward such the the you know um the elephant in the room so to speak and Mm -hmm. and and it makes everybody else uncomfortable like one of the things that i devised is the griever's responsibilities and i know sometimes people go what that sounds kind of harsh and it's not that it's that you know If you mention your loved one, then it makes it comfortable for everyone to mention their loved one or to take that sigh of relief and go, okay, all right. We
1: can
0: mention it and we know they're going to be okay. Because the the, the biggest thing I think people are afraid of is that they're going to make it worse for you. And so, but, but I think ignoring it and acting like nothing happened makes it so much more uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned the elephant in the room. Uh, when I, when my husband was sick during those eight months so he got sick in may and i was you know mostly off work and of course the kids were off school through the summer and then when we approaching september um all of a sudden i realized like i was going back to work part-time the kids were going to be back in school i would be back in the school building whether it was picking them up or going to soccer practice or whatever right um and i realized there was a huge elephant in the room and that I would be seeing people at work or at the kids school that I hadn't maybe seen. Some of them I had seen throughout the summer cause they were helping and doing things, but others of them I hadn't seen. And it, I realized it was going to be super awkward. And part of the reason actually that I realized this, um, you know, Cheryl Sandberg from Facebook, her husband died, uh, right around the time my husband was diagnosed. Wow. I think it was shortly before. And so when I first read the news of her husband dying, now my husband wasn't sick yet. And I thought, oh no, that's such sad news, poor Cheryl. Right. Well, as soon as my husband got diagnosed, I was like, whoa, I better start following her journey because I'm gonna be right behind her, right? Mm-hmm. And she had done a really good post about the elephant in the room and trying to get it out of the room before she had gone back to work. And I realized, you know, I gotta tackle this head on. And so I wrote a whole post. In fact, as I'm working on um going through my manuscript here, which for this memoir, which is based on the the journal, I was just rereading that post. And I think this title is something about kicking the elephant out of the room. Yeah. And I kind of went through and I was like, you know, look, if you see us, you don't have to say something profound. Right. You know, it's okay just to say, hey, I'm sorry, you're going through this. Right. It doesn't have to. And I think one of the reasons that people and I know I, I do this myself. And so that's, yeah. you know, you, you're afraid to say something because you don't want to say the wrong thing. Like you said, you don't want to make it worse. And, or you're thinking, well, maybe I could say just the right thing that might actually fix it. Yeah. Right. And so then, and then, so I would like, and even like writing a condolence card or something, right. I would defer it. Cause I would think, oh, I don't know what to write. So maybe next week I'll think of the right thing. Right. Of course. And you know, you can't, you can't fix it. So there's no magic words that fix it that you can write or say to somebody. So, um, you know, and then I would defer it, defer it, defer it, thinking, you know, with that lofty objective of finding the right thing to say, never finding it and therefore never reaching out at all, which then was worse than having just sent off a card with some comments. Um, And, you know, I've gotten lost on what your question was, but.
0: (laughs) But, No, but you were talking about the elephant in the room and how you made it your, your, um, your priority to, to address it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Yeah. So, um speaking of uh condolences card because I wrote a whole book on this. Um of just ways that you can reach out and support people that are going through you know d- death, grief, mm. loss of mm-hmm. any kind. Um and you know, one of the things is you, you know it is sending out cards, sending out condolences and it's amazing. You know, the one thing I always want to tell people is, look, there no magic words exist in the history yep. of ever. Yep. That are gonna that make this all better. Yep. So that should let you off the hook that you don't have to yeah. do anything profound, right? Yes, exactly. Um, and do you and 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 I don't know whether you agree with this, but the reason that I wrote the book is because during the time that we lost our son, we lost some of our closest friends. And mm. I think it was because it was so close to home. It was so scary. They didn't know what to do or say. They were so paralyzed in fear um or they were so afraid they were going to say the wrong thing that mm. they just held off and that will ruin relationships Yeah, you know, it just will mm. i didn't want that to happen to anyone else i wanted to provide people with some tools mm-hmm. so, so that being said how i found out about you was through someone else's post on social media that you did a youtube video on what to put in a sympathy card or condolence um message
1: i did yes yes and that actually has been one of my most viewed videos which has been which has been wonderful and i think it's because everybody hates writing condolence cards and it's one of those kind of things that adults have to do and we're in a pandemic so more people unfortunately are dying so there are more condolence cards to be written uh, and, you know, I this came up because of a chat I was having with a friend of mine who was struggling with what to write in a card for somebody that she knew whose parent had died. Um, and I thought, you know, because I, I learned a tremendous amount from the people around me who were supporting our family in our time. And I, I watched, like, what people did that was helpful and what people did that was supportive and what made me, you know, feel a little better and what didn't. And so I... <sighs> tried to pull all those lessons together, and you know one of the things that i well of the gazillion sympathy cards we got, I should say I never actually looked at the printed card portion, in other words, whatever yes. hallmark had to, look,
0: yeah message
1: whatever hallmark had to say. You know, with with the flowers on the front and the and the scrolly words and whatever comforting message. And I don't know if I should admit this. So hopefully, the people who you know sent cards who didn't write anything will forgive me. But I didn't really care what Hallmark said. I just, you know, looked at what. And so and you know, people didn't have to write anything profound. It could be as simple as, "I'm so sorry you're going through this. I'm thinking about you." Right. Um, Sometimes the most comforting cards, share some kind of memory or other kind of sentimental thing. Like, for example, maybe your um, friend from childhood, you know, their parent dies or their sibling dies. And if you write a card that says, you know, I always loved doing, you know, yeah, I remember how your dad was our soccer coach and I have such fond memories of those years, right? That is really comforting, and you wouldn't think that something maybe as simple as that, would be. But it's it's you know knowing that someone remembers your loved one, someone remembers them fondly, someone has that that, um, you know, someone thinks of their childhood and their mom who you know sewed their Halloween costumes and mentioned that in the card, and you know just knowing that someone has that memory of your mom, um, is comforting,
0: oh. right? Yes, it's a gift. I mean it's a true gift. It's it's sometimes a better gift than any flower bouquet that you could send.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Sharing well and you know, memory,
0: that's a treasure. And and then it's tangible too that you can hold on to it if you need it. That's why yeah. I love personal cards like that.
1: Well, and you know, also if you let's say you have younger children maybe and their other parent dies and the, those younger children will have some memories, right? But they never maybe really fully came to know their parent as they would have if they had grown up and and they had lived and so you could hold on to those cards then and then you know months and years and decades down the road those kids then will maybe come to a new understanding of that parent when they read these cards and they see all these people these friends these colleagues these family members these neighbors who say I remember this your, your dad was so kind your mom always hosted the best you know whatever um, that's another way too, then, that those kids can come to know that person who died um, right. as well by reading those down the road.
0: Well, that they, that they, you know, lived, that they made an impact, that they mm. mattered and that they will be missed.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know, I think the bottom line when thinking about writing whatever you're going to write in the card, <clears throat> it's enough to convey the message that I'm here and I care about you, and I'm not running away because this is uncomfortable and whatever you say that conveys that message. And if you can throw in a memory or a recollection or a, you know, a, a compliment about you, you know, their, their person was so funny or whatever. Um, I think that's, 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 it's great. That, I think that's uh, going to really help the person who is, who is grieving. Right.
0: And, you know, sometimes I like um, someone that, um, we know lost their mother, but we didn't know their mother, mm. but we wanted to send condolences. And so I just wrote, you know, how, how blessed your mother was to have all of you at her side, when she mm-hmm. passed from this life into the next, you know, just mm-hmm. to let them know that we, we know that, that it was important that she had ever, she was surrounded by her loved ones and that, mm-hmm. you know, we, and we just something that we could add. Yeah. That could yeah. say, you know, her life mattered and she was loved and we could tell that she was loved just because she was surrounded by those she loved.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, maybe you could even add if, if it's true, like, you know, I love the stories you used to tell about your mom. So, you know, she must've been really funny or really right. whatever, even if you never met that person, you might've learned some things about them through your friend and the stories they told and throwing that
0: in, I think can be helpful too. So um, tell us how how we can find your podcast and how often it airs and um, about your book coming up.
1: Yes, yes, definitely. Okay, so it's a weekly show. Every Wednesday, there's a new episode. So um, it's called The Widowed Parent Podcast, and you can find it at widowedparentpodcast.com. Uh, and also, of course, on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Spotify and whatever your favorite podcast player is, you can find it there. Um, but on the website, there's, you know, of course all the show notes and then other articles and resources and stuff. Um, and actually for anybody who's listening, listening, who is a widowed parent, um, I have a free download. It's, it's jennylisk.com, J E N N Y L I S K.com slash top 10, uh, with some of the, the, well, the top 10 things that I've learned from my guests on the show. Um, that I think are some of the main, you know, key kind of takeaways that I've that I've learned from interviewing them that I want to share with my listeners um, to make sure they can, you know, because because you know you listen, there's well there's 79 episodes now, so if you start at the beginning and work your way through, it's a different topic each week, and you know, um, so anyway. Uh, there's that. And then for people who are not widowed parents, um, I have a page for allies. And so the video you mentioned about the condolence cards is there, but also other tips. Uh, So JennyLisk.com slash allies, um, tips for um, thinking about how to support the people around you who are grieving. Um, And as far as the book, it's a memoir. It's going to be out in October. So um, it's not on Amazon or anything yet. Probably the best way to stay in the loop is to make sure you're on my email list. And there's a, on the bottom of, I think, every page on my website, there's a way to do that. So, uh, yeah, I'll be keeping people updated as we get closer. And I'm getting very excited about, you know, launching during a pandemic. It requires creativity. So uh, I've been brainstorming and keeping a little list of some some fun ideas there, too.
0: Well, it sure does. But I know that you will do it. And I know that what you're providing is something that, fortunately, many people still need. And especially through this COVID pandemic, you know, more and more parents are going to be needing uh, the advice that you are offering through your podcast. So Jenny, thank you for spending time with us today on my podcast. And um, thank you for helping so many people. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. I'm Sherry Dunleavy, and you've been listening to the Grief Anonymous podcast. For more information on today's guest, the Grief Anonymous program, or the Grief Resource Network, go to griefanonymous.com or griefresourcenetwork.com. For more information on my book, workshops, or talks, go to SherryDunleavy.com. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thanks for listening. Today, my guest is Jenny Lisk. She is the host and creator of the Widowed Parent podcast. It's been featured in the Washington Post and on Parent Map, and she's from Washington State, and she is now currently writing her first book, which is very exciting, but I want to talk to her about widowed parenting, because this is an area that I, you know, I I know a lot of people who are widowed. I know a lot of people who are widowed parents, but my grief experience is completely different from that of a widowed parent. So Jenny, thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Yeah, of course. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you for, uh, for inviting me.
0: So first of all, I guess we should start with, with your story and how you came to be the, the host of the widowed parent, um, podcast? Ah, yes, uh, yes
1: that's, that's a great, a great question. question. How, much, uh, how much time do we have here? <laughs> uh, so I actually, you know, the crazy thing, it was five years ago right now that my world kind of started crashing down on me. Um, what is it? It's, it's August now? I was going to say July. Time flies in a pandemic, right? Uh, it was actually May of 2015. Um, and my husband, who had been perfectly normal like nothing seemed wrong all of a sudden said you know I've been feeling a little dizzy sometimes and just out of the blue but it was so minor right it was like okay dizzy right you get it checked out you know didn't really seem like a big a big deal and I should say our kids at the time were eight and ten um, so we just had, a, you know, a normal life, both of us had jobs, you know, the two kids, the dog, you know, soccer, whatever. And uh, long story short, I started noticing over the next 10 days or so, just some really odd cognitive, you know, slight confusion, um, but he was mostly normal. So I was kind of second guessing myself, right? Am I, am I over this? What's the deal? Anyway. He went into the doctor, just a general, we both went in together, um, his regular internal medicine to say, hey, you know, what's the deal here?